Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Those beautiful words are the, are the truth that Jesus will come back one day to bring us home to be with him and to bring judgment at last. These are words that we confess in one of our creeds every single week, and we confess it with our mouth, but I think sometimes confessing it with our mouth and confessing it with our heart tells two very different stories. Because sometimes I think we live as if those words are, are empty and meaningless. This empty, seeing these words as empty and meaningless sometimes manifests itself in, in really in two different ways that I see, either in lethargy or in impatience. There are so many people, I mean, look around at the world today, there are so many people who are who are lethargic when it, comes to, when it comes to Judgment Day. They think that there's so much time left before Jesus comes back that they can live however they want, that they can adopt sort of this Epicurean, eat, drink, and be merry lifestyle, and everything will be fine, that they'll have time to turn from their ways, they'll have time to repent, and, and time for Jesus to forgive them. But when you're lethargic about Judgment Day, there's no urgency to your faith, and there's no immediate repentance. So, so having this lethargic attitude toward Judgment Day is really kind of a dangerous road to walk, isn't it? But none of you here this morning, at least I don't think so, have a lethargic attitude about Judgment Day. But I think that, that when each of us, including myself, confesses the words, he will come again to judge the living and the dead, this attitude of impatience maybe rises up in our hearts. Now, each one of us, we long, we long for Jesus to come back, to come back on Judgment Day, to eradicate sin once for all, to rid us of death, to clothe us with immortality, to bring us home to be with him. And that, that longing is good. That longing is God-pleasing. But it doesn't take a whole lot for that longing to slide into impatience. It doesn't take long at all. And the reason we get impatient, this, the thing that ignites the impatience in our heart, is the question, when will Judgment Day come? We want an answer to it, don't we? At least in some part, we've all wondered that. We've all asked that question. And, and when, we, when our hearts ask that question, God points us back to his word, to, to what Jesus says, that no one knows the day or the hour that it will come like a thief in the night. But that doesn't satisfy in the impatient heart, does it? No, the impatient still demands an answer from God, and demanding an answer from God is, is really to demand to know the mind of God. And like the Apostle Paul says, who can, who can know the mind of God? Look, here's the thing. That question, when will judgment day come? It's not going to be answered this morning. It's, in fact, it's never going to be answered until the day that Jesus does come back. But Jesus doesn't leave us unprepared for the coming of judgment day, does he? He doesn't leave us alone to, to walk in the darkness without a, without a bright light. You know, this morning in Luke chapter 21, Jesus broaches the subject of Judgment Day to prepare his disciples for the things that they're going to see, to show them that Judgment Day really and truly is coming. And as he, as he prepares them and as he prepares our hearts this morning for the coming of Judgment Day, he gives us this, this singular encouragement to continue standing firm. I mean, that's what he told the disciples. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus and his disciples are, are in the middle of Holy Week. And that means that they're in Jerusalem. Jesus is only a few days away from, from marching to Golgotha and hanging on the cross. And while, Jesus, or while his disciples are in Jerusalem, they, they find themselves staring at this magnificent structure smack in the middle of Jerusalem, this place called Herod's Temple. And to be honest, I don't really blame them. Because Herod's Temple was this magnificent building. It had, uh, it had 37-foot stones at its base. It had columns that, that seemed to stretch toward the sky. It had golden grape, 
grape clusters. That's kind of a mouthful. Golden grape clusters that, that were over seven feet tall. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just the, the structure itself. There was this gold overlay and so much gold overlay on the building that when the sun rose in the eastern sky and hit Herod's temple, it's said to have blinded the people who passed by. This building was not only magnificent, but it was a signal, it was a signal of status and structure and stability within Jerusalem. And the disciples, as they're looking at it, they think that it's going to be a building that stands the test of time, that stands firm no matter what comes to it. But as Jesus sees them gawking at this temple, he says to them, as, as for what you see here, a time will come when not one of these stones will be left on another. Each of them will be torn down. Now, can you imagine the dismay of the disciples? This temple is not only, not only does it look beautiful and not only is it beautifully ornate, but it, it serves a very important purpose. It's the place of worship. It's the place where sacrifices are offered. It's the place where sins are atoned for. And so they're looking at this building and listening to Jesus' words and thinking, well, how can this be? And so filled with a, with a fear and a, and a curiosity of the unknown, the disciples, they asked Jesus, teacher, when will this happen? And what will be the signs that these things are about to happen? The disciples want to know the, the age-old question that looms in, in the heart of every Christian today. When? When will it happen, Lord? Now, Jesus, he, he doesn't give them a timeline of events. He doesn't say this is exactly when it's going to happen. But he does clue them into the events that are going to lead up to Judgment Day happening. And these events, they, they really fall into four different categories. There's wars, there's natural disaster, there's false prophets, and there's great and fearful signs from heaven. And when you listen to that list from Jesus, you, you no doubt have pictures that fly, that fly in front of your mind or that fly before, before your mind's eye. Uh, pictures of the, the countless wars that, pe- that people are fighting in this world today. And it's, it's not just wars where, where bullets fly and blood is shed. It's, it's the political wars. It's, it's the race wars. It's the gender wars. It's the religious wars. All of these wars that, that do nothing but divide a nation, divide people against people. When you hear Jesus talk about natural disasters, maybe you thought about the, the wildfires that have raged in California since the beginning of May or, or how Hurricane Dorian just leveled the Bahamas or, or how just a few days ago historic flooding uh, completely flooded uh, the city of Venice. You know, we see these, these, the, the destruction, the devastation that wars and natural disasters cause and, and sometimes they, they hit right in our backyard and we see them firsthand. And, and I want you to know something about these. These wars and these natural disasters are, are a tool that, that Satan tries to use to gain leverage in your heart. It's not that he causes these wars and disasters, but he, he makes you look at them and tries to elicit a single question from your heart. Why? Why would God let these things happen? You see, because all Satan wants you to do it as Judgment Day approaches is to, to see God in a, in a different, in a darker light. Not to see God as he reveals himself in Scripture, but to see God as evil. To see God as a God who hates mankind, to see God who is who is a God to 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 be out there to get even with to get even with humanity for what they've done, but all of those are lies that march against the truth which God has revealed in Scripture, the truths upon which you firmly stand, and they are all truths that you know so well that God is not a God of of hatred but a God of love, that God is not a God of vengeance but of compassion, and He watches over and protects those He loves watches over and protects you even in the midst of wars and disasters that happen. This is your God and this is the God upon which you stand firmly planted. But I, I think that the most dangerous thing that Jesus lists in these things that show us that, that we're in the end times, that judgment day is coming, has nothing to do with physical danger. 
it's far more subtle. It's far less obvious. It has everything to do with spiritual danger. It's the false prophets that Jesus talks about. You know, false teachers are, they're popping up every day. You see them. They're the people who claim to have some sort of new revelation from God. They're the people who said that, that the church has taught things wrong for thousands of years and now they have the right answer. Like those people exist. They do. And they're very blatant about what it is that they think they are teaching and what it is they think they're believing. But, but unfortunately, the, the false teachers that pose an even greater danger to you and me are, are even more subtle than that. And they're often, and unfortunately, they're often found in the church. You see, these false teachers, they, they take the beautiful truths of God's word and they, and they change a word or two and twist their meaning. And they do this to make Christianity more palatable to the masses, more appealing to a culture that's steeped in inclusivity and subjectivity. And the whole reason that they do this, or the whole premise for why they do this, is based on that age-old question of Satan. Does God really say? So they'll take a beautiful truth like this, that you are saved by God's arrow pointing down love alone, and they'll twist it. They'll say, sure, you are saved by grace, but, but you just have to reach out and take it. It's this 50-50 deal, you see, that you have, to, you have to reach out and the decision is all yours. And what they do when they twist a beautiful truth like that is they, they empty grace of its meaning and its power and they turn Christianity in some sort of, into some sort of muddy, man-centered, works-oriented religion. These false teachers within Christianity, what they do is they take the, the, tru- the, the truths that God talks about with sin and they discredit them. They'll say, sure, the, the scripture says that homosexuality and sex before marriage are sins, but, but those can't possibly apply to us in the 21st century because those were written to the first century people living in Corinth or to the ancient Israelites as they were wandering through the desert. They can't apply to us today because they're far too harsh, they're far too old, they're far too exclusive. So you can just live in whatever way you want those things aren't sin. I could go through a whole list of, of things like this, but, but maybe to suffice it to say that the Apostle Paul, he talks about this very thing happening to a young pastor named Timothy. He says, A time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, and they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers who, who teach what their itching ears want to hear. The reason that, that the teachings of these false prophets are so dangerous, or I think it's the most dangerous thing in this list of signs that show us Judgment Day is coming, is because they're also appealing, aren't they? They're also appealing to our sinful nature. We want something to do with our salvation, or we, we want to have some guilt alleviated either from our lives or the lives of people we know who are stuck in these sins. But all of these false teachers' teachings, they're all tools that Satan are using to Try to pull you away from the foundation upon which you firmly stand. Because Satan wants to erode to that foundation, one foundational block of truth at a time, until there's nothing left. And so Jesus warns us about this. He said, these false teachers will come, that many will come in my name claiming I am he. Watch out. Do not be deceived. Do not follow them. When these, these wars and these disasters and these false teachers and their teachings pop up, there's, there's a reality that you and I have to wrestle with it and grasp. And it's, it's a reality that's really very comforting. The reality is this, that no matter how much Satan works and tries to, to use these things as his tools to turn you, turn you away from God, that he's already defeated. And sure, he's going to work even harder against you and me as Christians. He's going to work even harder as the day, as the day of judgment grows even closer. But But Jesus already defeated him on a splintered piece of wood outside of Jerusalem. Jesus descended into hell 
and he proclaimed his victory, which is your victory over Satan. As, as Luther said in his famous hymn, he's judged, the deed is done. So as, as you see these things popping up in our world, and that show you that judgment day is approaching, there's no need for fear, there's no need for doubt. You can continue to stand firm in the promises of God. But standing firm in these promises, it still has a, a little bit of fear and unknown to it, doesn't it? Because we still don't know the exact day and the exact hour when judgment day will actually come. And when you don't know something, you tend to fear it because we're impatient. But even in the midst of this fear of the unknown, if, if whether or not judgment day will come today or tomorrow or the next day, Jesus says, don't worry. Don't be frightened about this because the end will not come right away because my father still has his will to carry out here in this world. And now Jesus, as he, as he explains this to his disciples, he shifts from the signs and the wonders that they're going to see as Judgment Day approaches to, to the things that they will actually experience personally in this life as Judgment Day approaches. Listen to what Jesus says. It's in the middle of, of Luke chapter 21, starting at verse 12, if you want to follow along in your, in your service folder. Verse 12, Jesus says, But before all this... They will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. Verse 16. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Jesus had to explain this to his disciples, that this is the stuff that they were going to experience on account of being somebody who follows Jesus, that they were going to experience persecution and, and hardship and suffering for believing in and following the one who died on the, who was going to die on the cross and save them from their sins. But Jesus also explains that this suffering and the persecution and the death has a very specific purpose, that it would mean that they would serve as Jesus' witnesses to the very people who were persecuting them. But how does that apply to you and me in the 21st century, right? Because I will grant you that there's a very, very low chance that you will ever be dragged before, before the president or before the Supreme Court for the thing that you believe in. But I can promise you, because Jesus promises you, that there will come a time when a friend will desert you because of what you believe. There will come a time when a family member hates you for clinging to the truth of the unadulterated gospel, that there will come a time when you are ridiculed and mocked for believing in a God that you can't see. This will happen if it hasn't already. But that same thing that Jesus said to his disciples is meant for you and me, that there's a specific reason and a purpose for all of it. And it's so that you can serve as Jesus' witness to these people who are, who are carrying out these actions against you and consequently against him. Now, I know that when I hear that phrase, I will be Jesus' witness. There's a, there's a fear that floods my heart and, and a whole list of excuses as to why that shouldn't be the case. That I don't know, I, I maybe I, I shouldn't be speaking to these people because I, I'm not so eloquent in speech. And in that case, I sound a whole lot like Moses. Or, or maybe that I'm not going to have the exact right words to say to counteract their argument. Or, or maybe I don't even want to speak to the very people who are making fun of me, who are ridiculing me for the things that I believe. But all of those excuses and all of those fears that I have, that's Satan pulling on the strings of my sinful nature. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that those are either excuses that you've made or excuses that you've had. Because Satan, he, he doesn't want you 
to talk about the gospel. Satan doesn't want you to talk about the fact that, that he's defeated. And so he's going to tell you as much as he possibly can that it's not worth it, that none of it is. It's not worth it losing a family member or a friend over a few words in a dusty old book, that it would be much better and much easier for you in this life to just sit down and to shut up and don't talk at all. When the fear and the, the excuses flood our hearts, Jesus forgives our, our sinful actions and our sinful attitudes, and he assuages all of our doubt about this. Because the moment we start to worry, Jesus gives us a promise. He says, don't worry beforehand about, about what you are going to say or how you are going to defend yourself, because I will give you words and wisdom that not a single one of your adversaries or enemies will be able to resist or to contradict. Right there, Jesus says that when you are put into, into these situations that has purpose, that has meaning, that you might serve as a witness to these people who are hating you because of the gospel, Jesus not only promises that you will have the words to speak, but he promises that that word is going to have an effect. Like God through the prophet Isaiah talks about it like this, that the word of my mouth, it will not return to me empty. It will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God through the prophet Jeremiah says it another way, that my word is like fire, that it's like a hammer that breaks rocks to pieces. So every time, that, every time a, a friend ridicules you for, for something that you believe and you give them the word of God, God's word works going to carry out the purpose for which it's being sent. Either it's going to, the law is going to harden them in their unbelief or the gospel is going to create and strengthen a saving faith that will solidify their spot in eternity. When you're with a family member who, who has disowned you for what you believe and, and you speak God's word to them, God's word is like, is like fire. It's like a hammer that sounds in the deep and blow after blow it will break sinful stony hearts to pieces with the law and heal it with the comfort of the gospel. God gives you and me the incredible privilege and responsibility to be part of carrying out his will here in this world, which includes ministering to, preaching to, teaching to those people who hate you, especially to those people who hate you. Because God's will is that all men come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. God's word works, and it will continue to work till he comes back. And it won't just work on the hearts of those people who are enemies to you and to me and to the gospel, but it will also work on our hearts too. Because you know what? Jesus makes a promise to his disciples that, that when you're facing that persecution and that hardship, and even if you face death because of what you believe, not a single hair on your head will perish. This isn't the promise that, that you won't die. Because that's a consequence of sin on this side of heaven that we can't escape. But it is the promise of things to come. In our first reading for today, the prophet Malachi talks about it beautifully. He says, For those who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and you will leap like calves from the stalls. This is the promise of the joy that is awaiting you and me. The joy that is awaiting us after our death. Because when we die, God says, I will send my angels to bring you home that I will clothe you in immortality. I will rid you of the consequences of sin and death. And I will, I will seat you standing firmly next to me to live forever. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. In just a few moments, we will, we will confess those beautiful words again. And this time, as we confess them, there's no need to, to have an attitude of impatience when you read those words. Because Jesus has prepared you. Absolutely, he has. He's prepared your faith and, and your faith will be content enough with the answer soon. I'm coming soon. And as we wait for soon, brothers and sisters, to be fulfilled, 
remember, always remember that Jesus has prepared you for judgment day. And because he has prepared you, you can continue standing firm, standing firm in all of God's faithful promises, standing firm in the, in the face of natural disaster and war, standing firm when, when, even when you're on deaths, when you're on your deathbed, continue to stand firm, Jesus says, and you will win life. God grant it. Amen.